let me pray as we dive into God's Word this morning. Lord, we take very seriously this work. It is the most important work that we go about whatever day we go about it during our week to come and meet with you in your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads the way, that guides us into your truth, opens our eyes to see glorious and beautiful things in your Word. Father, as Glenn said, the most glorious, the most significant thing that we can see this morning is Jesus, our Savior. The glory that you have sent, the, the, the revelation of all that you are, the gift of love. I pray even now, Father, if there would be any here in our midst who do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord, that you would begin to stir in their hearts, even now, Lord, Help them to lock eyes with love itself, to see the face of Christ, and to completely follow Him today. For others, Lord, who are here uh, maybe holding back some, I pray that today would challenge them, that You would help them to um, abandon this restraint or anything that would keep them back and completely follow You with all their heart. Lord, I do pray that you would help my voice continue to battle this sickness. Um, and I know many others ha have battled this cold for weeks now. And uh, so I pray that that would not be a distraction. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I titled the sermon this morning, The Fisherman and the Carpenter. And as I sat in this text, I couldn't help but just kind of come back to that again and again. Uh, it is so important for us to see the characters and the personalities of these two who are the primary in these verses, the fisherman and the carpenter. I want to begin by picking up in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. I titled this, The Floating Pulpit. Uh, the Floating Pulpit. Uh, let's begin in verse 1 here. Luke says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and just stop there for a second. Gennesaret, what? The, the Lake of Gennesaret. This is uh, another name for the, the Sea of Galilee. Um, and I don't know why it had so many different names. Gennesaret was a name that referred to a very fertile plain to the north of the Sea of Galilee. And for some reason, Luke here refers to the lake as the Lake of Gennesaret. So let's see on the map again where we are. I want to make sure we have our bearings um, last week we were in Capernaum, just over uh, up here on the north part of the Sea of Galilee, and this really fertile area goes all the way up to Lebanon, way up here. Um, if you go, we actually got to sit at the city of Dan, the ancient city of Dan, and uh, look out over Lebanon to the north. And then as we drove back down to the Sea of Galilee, I was just struck with how fertile the area is. It's, uh, uh, you know, fields and uh, uh, orchards and all kinds of things growing uh, in this very fertile area. And so, in a sense, this whole area is referred to as Gennesaret, um, but especially right in this area um, is, is kind of the place that they identify as the location for this event taking place. In fact, if you see, it's, it's not real visible. There's a, just a little inlet here, um, almost a little amphitheater type of thing that you can identify and, and see 
and that is where likely this took place. Uh, here's why I think this is the case. Uh, Peter and his crew based out of Capernaum, but the work that they were doing, as we're going to see, would have most likely been a lot easier to do right along this area here um, to the west of Capernaum. Uh, now, when we were there, Jenny and I were able to get a picture right there in this, in this place. Um, if you go right down to the water down here, it's likely that right down along here somewhere is where this event took place. And uh, we were just having a blast. I, I'm still pinching myself. I can't believe we got to be there. Um, the Good Shepherd representatives uh, there in the Holy Land. If you look at the direction we're looking right there, uh, then you would see the place where uh, most believe the 5,000 were fed. There's a hillside where people believe Jesus taught right up and the people all sat down, kind of a natural amphitheater right in there as well. And so a very significant location with a number of things happening right in this area. Huge crowds have gathered to hear Jesus preach and teach. Now just stop and ask yourself this question. If the Messiah that you had been waiting for your entire life was on the scene, what would stop you from getting on a plane and going to hear him preach? The Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, who is healing people and giving confirmation after confirmation that he is, in fact, God's very Son. He is the one sent by God, and he's speaking the Word of God. People are coming in droves from all over the place. And thousands upon thousands are crowding in to hear Jesus teach. Uh, this is a wonderful thing and at the same time a challenging thing. How do you deal with this? They're pressing in to hear the word of God. Now you can just kind of picture what this would be like. Have you ever been in a crowd that's standing up and moving it, it like Seahawks game, kind of moving in? I remember in eighth grade we had a pep assembly that was far too effective. Um, I don't remember why we were all pepped up for, but we were all rowdied up, and then they let school out. Uh, and the pep rally had to exit. The whole school had to exit through two uh, doors. And I was sandwiched between people so uh, strong that my feet were off the ground. Okay, And I'm just like, I can't breathe. This is scary. Uh, the people were pressing in, and the amount of force that is generated by a crowd that big, it's scary. People have died in situations like that. In this scenario, the reason they're pressing in is because they cannot hear. They can't hear. On the, on the very far reaches, the crowd keeps pushing in and showing up and pushing in, and Jesus keeps backing up and backing up, and, and at some point, his foot is in the water, and he's thinking, okay, what can we do? How can we solve this issue? We want to proclaim the word of God to as many as possible, but I keep hearing this from the back row. We can't hear you. You remember George Bush going down to the 9-11 down there, and all the people shouting in, we can't hear you, and he grabbed the megaphone, that epic moment, and I can hear you, right? It's a scenario like that. This huge crowd pressing in. Jesus is preaching the word of God. They hunger to hear. What's he going to do? Well, this is his solution. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, 
uh, he asked him to put out from uh, the shore or from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Okay, so he gets in this boat, and you've been on a lake before. Have you noticed how sound travels across the water? It's incredible. We go up to Jenny's cottage up there in, in, uh, in Michigan, and you can sit on the edge of the water and hear people across the lake talking. They're not yelling. They're just talking. It's amazing the distance you can, you can cover if everything's quiet. And one person is speaking across the water. So Jesus has Simon. Uh, he might have even had to wake him up. I mean, the nets were drawing. They they'd finished mending their nets. And we're going to learn more about the moment here that this is in Simon's day. He's a tired fisherman at this point. He says, Simon, can you back this thing out? Let's go out and I'll teach from your boat. And so Jesus then sits down, as was the custom for teaching in this time. Uh, the, the rabbi would sit to teach, which is hard for me because I like to move around. I, I have a hard time holding still. I'm going to try it, though, here today for a while. Jesus begins to teach and the people now can hear. I want to draw your attention to the boat itself. It's easy for us to, in our mind, assume that we kind of picture what this looks like. Uh, don't picture that. That is a terrible painting of uh, what it might have been. That's basically a dugout canoe. Not at all what Jesus would have crawled into to teach from. Let me give you what we saw when we were there this is really an amazing discovery. There was a drought a few years ago at the Sea of Galilee. The water receded, and someone was hiking along, exploring uh, along the, the part of the, the land that w- was exposed uh, from the low water. And they saw a chunk of wood sticking up out of the mud. And they walked over and dug a little bit, and they found this boat fully intact and preserved in the mud at the, at the sh- uh, shore of the Sea of Galilee. They brought in all the uh, archaeologists and the scientists and they sprayed it with foam. It's this huge spray foam uh, floaty thing. It was funny looking. It, it was amazing to, to see how they did it. And they floated it over in, all in one piece and were able to preserve it with this really cool metal structure they built. And so there is the wood. It dates back to the time of Jesus. This is a fishing vessel, a very common fishing vessel that would have been used at least the remnants of it, that has been preserved. So the artists then take this and they build a a scale model of what they historically would see as a somewhat accurate visual aid for us to see. Peter was a successful fisherman. Uh, He had a business. He had partners. There were two boats. Okay, we're talking a pretty good-sized commercial trade going on. Uh, He had been doing this. This was his uh, income. He provided for his family. Um, So here is the boat. Let me give you a little bit of orientation here. Uh, This is the bow, and this is the stern. Here's the rudders down here. Uh, Hopefully, I'm getting my boat terminology correct. Uh, I grew up in Yakima, okay? So be gracious. Uh, The mast and the sail, okay? Now, here is is what is very helpful for us to envision. Do you see this open cavity down here? For a fisherman who's using nets, they're bringing those nets in and the fish are going to be brought into this low point um, and they would fill up that cavity and then be able to still move around and work up on these platforms. And so um, a very effective way to load a lot of fish in, keep the center of gravity low and the boat stable in the water 
as they're fishing. More on that soon. Now, what's interesting about Luke, different than Matthew and, and John and Mark, is Luke gives us here primarily the context of Jesus' teaching, but he gives us actually none of the actual content of his teaching. So his goal in this part of the story, the narrative that he's bringing to us, is not yet what Jesus is teaching. He wants us to see this interaction between Jesus and Peter. Jesus and Peter. Who is Jesus and what effect does it have on this average blue-collar fisherman's life? How's it going to change him? And so that's the opening three verses. Let's move into uh, the story as it unfolds from here. Uh, I call this the carpenter wants to go fishing. Okay? You need to remember, we've got a carpenter and we've got a fisherman. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. That seems like a fun thing to do. Okay. That's not asking a lot, is it? Well, maybe it is. Let's examine this a little more. Picture again Jesus finishing up his sermon. Jesus is a man. Yes, fully God, but also fully man. And preaching is tiring. I know some of you don't know this, but uh, some of you who have preached understand it is unbelievably exhausting. Uh, A one-hour sermon, for example, can be equated with hours of other kinds of work. Uh, You come home, for instance, Sunday afternoon, I come home and I can barely survive a football game until halftime and I'm out. I'm like, it's time going to sleep. So the sermon is finished. Here's the dynamic. These people have traveled to hear Jesus preach. Where are they going to go? Okay, think about this. Their goal is see Jesus, hear Jesus. They're not thinking much about food. We'll see that coming soon. They're, They're not really thinking, well, what should we eat? How should we survive out here? Their goal is just listen to him. Find where he's at, go to that place, and stay. Well, for Jesus, who is likely exhausted from teaching and preaching, he needs a chance to just recover and get a break. They're not leaving, right? They're there. So if you're Jesus, this is a very wise move. Let's get some distance here. And the crowd will kind of disperse a little bit. Maybe they'll go and get some lunch in Capernaum and you know, eat a fish or something like that. Let's get out on the boat together. And he wants to spend this time with Peter. So he says, hey, Peter, let's go fishing. Let's go fish. Now, for Peter, this is more than just, hey, sure, I'll grab my reel and my rod and we'll just cruise out to the middle of the lake. This is a big undertaking. Peter likely had a crew with him of at least three to five, maybe even seven guys who would help with this commercial work. The nets were tremendously involved uh, to handle. Uh, I'll, I'll share a little more about the nets soon. Peter lets go fishing means Peter loads all of the nets that have now dried into the boat. That's a big amount of work right there. Peter gets his men, or at least some of his men, to go with him and uh, help work the nets because they're fishermen. They know how to do this. And there's a carpenter who wants to go fishing. He grew up in Nazareth. Okay, kind of like Yakima. He doesn't know about fishing so much. And so let's go fishing. Well, that's pretty involved. And then he says, let down your nets in the deep water. Jesus doesn't want to go just 
you know, 30 feet, 40, 50 feet out to the shallows. He wants to go out to the deep water. Now, the nets, there are two kinds of nets used in this kind of fishing. One would be for shore fishing. It's an individual net that you can take and throw, and you would, you would throw it, and the, uh, the weights would sink to the, the floor of the lake, and then you pull the string. Whatever you have covered with the net is cinched in, and then you pull it in, and, and the job is done. Much easier. If Jesus would have said, let's just catch a few fish on the shore for fun. Let's hang out. That's much easier. This is deep water fishing. This is the big net, okay? The kind of net that you have to row and unfurl and let down. The nets uh, would be uh, floating on one end and then drop down on the other, and then one boat would move around and try to loop in, and then you grab your catch, cinch the top, the bottom, and then pull it in that way. Now, in this scenario, um, there was only one boat working the net. Many times, the partners, this other boat, James and John, would work together. And so you would have multiple boats coordinating an effort like you would see even today uh, in some of the fishing that is done out here. We know Simon Peter. He is a man of passion and fire. Right? We've, we've, we've experienced his personality. What you've got to do is apply some of the things you know about Peter and then listen to his words here. Simon answered... Master, which is a term of respect, right? He is, he's following a rabbi in this term. I'll follow you, Master. I just, just want you to know this. Uh, we toiled, we labored all night last night, and we caught nothing. We, we, we worked all night, and we have no fish. Peter is struggling with the fact that they were skunked last night, and he says, but, but listen, at your word, I will let down the nets. Because you want to go fishing, and it's you, I'll do it. I'll do it. So, as you row out to the deep water, and you're seeing this net and everything, what are you maybe thinking? Okay, now this is where we have to use kind of a sanctified imagination to try our best to put ourselves in Peter's shoes. I think he's struggling. I think this is not something that he would have chosen to do at this point in his day. He's heard Jesus teach. He's fished all night. Here's where I think he maybe have been at. Uh, he's thinking to himself, I, I'm a fisherman. Jesus, you're a carpenter from Nazareth. Okay, you know, and you could just hear the wheels spinning. You know, how many lakes do they have in Nazareth? That's right, none. How many boats are in Nazareth? There are no boats there, right? Okay, so we have that established. I'm the expert, you're the carpenter. Okay, we're on the water. This is my domain. This is where I do my thing. Um, I know the fish in this lake, and let me tell you, you catch them at night. And last night, we didn't catch anything, which means we are doubly unlikely to catch anything in the day with our nets the fish are not where I think they should be. We're going out blind. How often do you catch fish like that? One thing that struck me, we, this is the boat that we were on, or one uh, in a fleet just like it, uh, when we took our little trip on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, when you're out on that lake in the middle of the day, it is unbelievably hot. And a fishing vessel would rarely have cover 
to get out of the sun. The sun is reflecting off the water. You, you just bake out there on that lake. Uh, another good reason for guys like me to fish at night, right? You don't have to deal with that. As long as you can figure out where you're supposed to go, no heat of the day. So they fish at night. Uh, this is what they do. Peter is a fisherman. His father was likely a fisherman. He knows this lake. This is his thing. He is the expert fisherman here. Maybe he's thinking, listen, I just finished mending the nets. I am exhausted. It's hot. This isn't going to work. Here's what I'd prefer to do, Jesus. I'll let you borrow my net. Why don't you fish on the shore and I'll take a nap because the night is coming and I have to get back out there and make a living, right? I, this is what I do for a living. This isn't just let's go fishing for fun. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I need sleep. Those guys who work shift work, you know this. I mean, you've, you've, if you're going to work all night, you've got to sleep at some point. But, Lord, uh, if you insist, I'll do it. Okay, here's why I think this was a struggle for Peter. Because his response in the verses that come reveal something of this battle, this tension, this ugh, almost a grumble, an unspoken uh, frustration in this interaction. You could call it reluctant obedience. It is obedience, but I believe it's reluctant obedience. So, when they had gone out to the deep water, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They somehow signaled, I don't know exactly how they would do this, but they had a, a way of signaling their partners on the shore and the, the other boat came to help them. James and John brought their boat out with their crew. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. This is not what Peter expected. This is, this is a, a, a completely out of the category of anything he would have had in his mind as they rowed out to the deep water. You can just picture Jesus, right? Standing back on the the boat, watching them put the, the net in, right? And they're, and they're kind of in there. Those guys are grumbling. This is crazy. We don't fish during the day. What are we doing out here? Look, look at what happens. They are just blown away at the catch of fish. They're struggling to get it in. In fact, they can't. They need help. They need another boat to deal with what has come in into these nets. One, one fishing vessel and their nets fills two fishing boats that formula that doesn't add up this is the catch of a lifetime uh, peter would have been overwhelmed I, I just would have loved to to watch this interaction watch the facial expressions even jesus uh, standing back this is a supernatural event no one has ever caught fish like this on the sea of galilee no one ever has again well except for when jesus was raised from the dead and he said put your nets down on the other side and it happened all over again in that moment you know what peter did he put on his clothes jumped in the water and swam for shore to get to jesus he knew who it was only jesus does this kind of thing i just imagine jesus sitting back and kind of smiling you got enough in there i'm a carpenter but you know i mean i can lend a hand Oh, the fishermen would have been 
absolutely amazed. They didn't expect this. James and John come to help. Uh, what is Peter thinking now? If you're Peter and you're standing there and your boat is literally writhing with fish flopping and water is beginning to come over the sides because you've overfilled the boat. There's so many fish that they're trying to avoid sinking the boat. Both of them. Now what's Peter thinking? This is an amazing response. I titled this, uh, The Sinner and the Savior. Uh, You just don't expect these words. Listen to what Peter says. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. All of the fishermen were in awe. They were completely astonished. But Peter does something completely different. He falls down at the knees of Jesus. It's like he, Jesus is there, and Peter falls down and grabs onto his knees, head down, total humility, Why is this his response? What is happening in his heart? I think the astonishment gives way to conviction. I think Peter is convicted about his lack of faith. I think he's convicted about his grumbling under his breath probably about going out to fish when he knew we're going to catch nothing. Right? He's the expert no longer. Hmm. He says, O Lord, depart from me for I am a sinner. O Lord, kurios is the word. He first calls Him Master and now He calls Him Lord. There's been a change that's taken place. I will obey You, Master, as I follow You, Rabbi. Now it's I will bow before you in worship, O Lord. This is a radical transformation of this blue-collar fisherman. He has recognized divinity in a new way. Now, remember this. There's been interactions already. Jesus has been in Peter's home. He has, as we saw last week, with a word, cured his mother-in-law from her fever. He has cast demons out. He healed everybody in Capernaum with his touch. But now there's something that hit so close to home that it just broke Peter to the core. That thing that Peter thought he knew more than anyone, Jesus has just unmasked him. He's the Lord of the fish. He commands and the fish obey and they run into the net. Swim, I should say. They swim into the net. Fill it up. It's the realization of depravity. Friends, when we have a true glimpse of the holiness of God, who He is in all of His infinite perfections, the only right response is, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I am a sinner. 
I'm a dead man. This is the consistent response of those who behold the glory of God. Hmm. Brokenness and humility. You know what's amazing? This is exactly the good news that Jesus has come to proclaim. It's good news to those who know that they are poor and need saving. Those who acknowledge that they are slaves of Satan and sin and need rescue and freedom. Those who are willing to say, I am blind. Make me see. Not those who have it all together, who somehow think they qualify because they're good enough. This is the good news, friends. And Peter comes face to face with his lack and Jesus' sufficiency. I am not worthy. I don't qualify. His recognition, I don't measure up. I am not worthy. And it's, it's, it's not just this, this fishing uh, thing. This is inside. This is sin. I am a sinner. It's a moral crisis he has. Confronting the purity and radiance and holiness of God. Now the Master's call. It's, it's in response to the words of brokenness and humility that Jesus responds with these words. Listen to how Jesus responds. Jesus, Jesus is standing there. Peter is wrapped around his knees. Head down. Broken. Jesus says to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. You will be catching men. This is just like Jesus, isn't it? This is the whole point of the fishing trip. This is what he intended all along. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do with your life. Now, remember, here's the reason Peter is a fisherman. Every young Jewish boy longed with all of their might to be a disciple of a rabbi, to be a follower of a rabbi, one of their Talmudim. But the rabbi had to call the disciple. And many times, as a young boy, you would work and work and work and, and study and memorize. And at a point along the way, the rabbi would say, Son, you do your family proud. You are a great follower of God. But go now and learn your father's trade. Peter had heard these words. His greatest longing, like every Jewish boy, was to follow a rabbi. But he was sent back to learn his father's trade, which was fishing. And learn it he did. He was good at it. He excelled at it. This is an amazing moment. This exchange. First piece, do not fear. It's good to bow. It's good to come close. If, if Jesus were not God, he would have rebuked Peter. Who worships? The angels have done this already, right? Don't you dare bow to me. Worship is for the Lord alone. Jesus does not rebuke Peter in his bowing, in his worship, in his reference of Lord. He simply says, fear not. Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching man. In essence, Fear not, come follow me. As Matthew says, I will make you a fisher of men, a catcher of men to life. 
literally. This is the call. This is, this is the call that Peter never heard. He is a married man. He is in his father's trade. He has not heard this, and now he hears it from the most incredible rabbi the, the, the land has ever seen, the Son of God himself. Your failure to qualify is, in fact, where I meet you in all that I am. I love that. A fisher of men. It's amazing to see the transformation in Peter's life. He goes from an ordinary, blue-collar, in that time, uneducated, that's how they would see Peter, common man, a nobody, basically, in, in the, uh, the culture of his time. He goes from that to one of the most renowned preachers Israel has ever heard. When they had brought their boats back to land, with great struggle, I would add, rowing and bailing water and throw a few more fish over we're still sinking right they row back to land they they beach the boats upon the land and listen to what they do they left everything and followed him his entire world his livelihood his boat and the treasure of two boats filled with fish they left it all because they had found something far more valuable, something worth far more. They left it all to follow Jesus. Enthusiastic obedience, from reluctant obedience, maybe even grumbling, complaining, pessimistic obedience, to complete, total, enthusiastic obedience. Sell it all. Leave it all. The world behind me the cross before me. No turning back. Friends, our response this morning. Why did Luke present these verses to us in this way? This is what expositional preaching does. You have to ask the question, what are these verses here for? What are we supposed to see? What's the primary focus of these verses? Here's what I think it is. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. At His word, demons run. At His word, fevers are cast out. And at His word, the fish obey and fill the nets. He is the Lord of the fish. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. It is not a question of is He. The question of will we recognize and will we bow before Him? Will we bend our knee to Him? He is Lord. Where do you stand with Him today? Are you rowing out to the deep water? Lord, I'll obey, but I don't have to like it. Fine, you are, you exist, but that's all you get from me. Or are you on your knees, surrounded by fish flopping all around, in total humility, saying, it's you. It's you. You're everything. Nothing competes. I'm completely in. I hold nothing back. You are my Lord. 
And he says, come follow me. You know, he's still calling. He's still calling. Come. Come. Follow me. Brian, come follow me. Right? Glenn, come follow me. Come follow me. Tim, follow me. Day after day, he calls. Come and follow me. Are you all in? You know what I love about Peter? He, he was all in. He was all in. He wasn't trying to play it cool. Yeah, well, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give you a few days. I'll go with you here. I'll go with you there. But yeah, No, he had a family. He left his family to follow Christ. Now, there had to be some work done. Somehow, they had to be sustained and provided for. And so I'm sure there was plans along the way. Somehow that happened. He took care of them. But there was nothing in his life more important than Jesus. Not his job. Not his hobby. Not his past. Not his future. Everything focused on Jesus. Are you all in today? Are you holding back? Transformation begins with trust. Transformation begins with trust. Think about this. This uneducated, common, no-name fisherman from the north shore of the Sea of Galilee became a follower of Jesus. He became the lead apostle. He was brought into the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. This normal, unqualified man becomes the bedrock of preaching for the founding of the church. Listen to what they say of him in Acts chapter 4. Fast forward a number of years. Jesus lays his life down, is raised in victory, and then ascends to the right hand of the Father. The Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost. They are filled. They speak. They preach. And then they go boldly. And Peter and John here have just healed a man, a paralytic, a, a man who couldn't walk. And he's jumping around, bouncing around. And they are now standing. They are brought before the Sanhedrin, the 70-member council. This is a big deal. They are standing surrounded by these 70 power brokers of the day. And they begin to preach. Peter preaches to them. And he says, by the way, this Jesus that you have rejected, that you have crucified, is the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's how he ends his sermon. And then listen to what their response was. When the Sanhedrin saw the boldness of Peter and John, and, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common, we would add, fishermen, they were astonished. The only thing they could find is that they recognized they had been with Jesus. Friends, that's transformation. That's transformation. That's living in the bigger story, right? That's parking the boat on the shore and saying, I'm all in. Send me. I'll go. I'll speak. I'll preach. I will die if that's what is required. There is no greater treasure. There is no higher priority. It's all you. Only you. Always you. 
I'm all in. Trust and transformation. What could God do if a church filled with people had that kind of resolve? To say, you know what? We're all in. We are committed to this work, this mission, this kingdom assignment that we have been given. We are all in. I know many of you are. I love it. I love to watch the the word of God, the work of God in your life. I know some of you are are still holding back a little. Some of you are are still on the edge. But that's a boat full of fish. I don't know if I can leave that. Today may be the day. Right? Today may be the day that you say, okay, I'm all in. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the way that you work. I'm so encouraged that you're not looking for the most amazing, gifted, qualified, impressive people to do your kingdom work. You meet those who are not, and you make them who they are to be for you. You work in weakness. You delight in contrite hearts and broken spirits. You come to save those who are sick, who are quick to acknowledge their need, their lack, their desperation for you. Oh Lord, forgive us for our pride, for our arrogance to think that somehow we are when we are not. Forgive us for our grumblings when we think we know better and we don't. Lord, forgive us for our lack of faith to, to, to look at a situation and think that this is much better way and, and, and not to just trust the plan that You have. Forgive us for putting upon Your plan our definition of good, short-sighted and small. Father, I thank You for what You do to change people, to, to, to raise them up in strength. Lord, I thank You for the way that You have worked in so many lives here. And I pray, Father, that You would strengthen, embolden, encourage those who are needy and hurting and broken today. Be the rock of strength. Be a a source of of life and joy and purpose in this life. And Father, if there would be anybody here who is just ready to say, I want to be all in, I pray that even now they would acknowledge their sins, just like Peter, that they would acknowledge that they are sinners, that they are in desperate need of forgiveness and saving and that they would bow before your Son, Jesus, and find that life in Him, that forgiveness, that purpose, that mission. Lord, restore those who are lost to fellowship with You through the the work of your Son, Jesus. We love our Lord and Savior. We thank You for the gift that He is, Lord, for the glory that You have set on display in Him, and we make much of Him now. We, we, we choose to follow and hold nothing back. In Jesus' name, amen.